Good evening, Union Grove Baptist Church. I'm excited. My adrenaline's pumping, so uh, I might go through this really fast. We might get out early. Or then again, maybe not. <laughs> so uh, my wife knows I got the gift of gab, and I can do it well. I just can't even express how excited I'm to be here in this church. Um, I thank God uh, for bringing us here. Like this morning, um, Pastor's Brown sermon got to me, and then when we went over to the young marriage class, holy wow was the Holy Spirit working in there. People were getting touched and sharing, and it was just amazing to see God work. And ever since we came here, it's been amazing just to see God work in this church. And so, um, yeah, uh, tonight I want to share an encouraging message about evangelism. So I tell you what, before we get into that, um, I'd like to take a second and trust our Lord. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for your love. Thank you so much uh, for worship songs to praise you and how you love us so and how you'll hold us fast. And Lord, I just, uh, I just thank you for how you're working in this church, how your love is building this church. I thank you for bringing me here to be a participant in that, to see your glory move among these people. I thank you for these people, Lord. Oh, they're sweet. And so, Lord, I just pray that uh, you bless our time in your word tonight. Help us uh, grow closer to you. Help us see ourselves. And help us just grow uh, in your mission. Because uh, you sent your son to come and save and seek the lost. And I pray this in your son's precious name. Amen. So, um, yeah, encouraging message about evangelism. Uh, it's probably going to start off a little maybe discouraging. So I'm just warning you, I'm going to step on your toes maybe a little. Uh, my toes got stepped on, so that's where I'm going to share from. Um, and uh, yeah, it's kind of like if you throw a life preserver at somebody and they're not drowning, they're going to look at you like you're kind of weird. So you've got to kind of dunk them in the water and splash some water in their face, get them a little panicked, and then that life preserver seems a little nicer. So um, yeah. So evangelism. In its base form, it's boasting on God, right? So how is your relationship with Christ? Do you delight in the Lord? Psalm 37, verse 4, 4. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. It's, it's a verse that uh, I have memorized, but for some odd reason the memory won't work well. Um, but do you delight in the Lord, right? Um, if you're delighting the Lord, your evangelism is going to seem a lot more natural. It's going to be a lot more easy because all you're going to be doing is boasting upon your sweet Savior, right? And, and I also like that verse too because he says he's going to give you the desires of your heart. I don't think what that means is he's going to give you all the fleshly, selfish desires you want, but he's going to put new desires in there. And one of those desires is going to be sharing his love, right? So do you enjoy time in the scriptures? Like, I, it will never cease to amaze me. My wife's one of her favorite verses, Hebrews 4.12. Uh, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It, it will never cease to amaze me that the Holy Spirit, the author of scriptures, dwells in me and can illuminate truths to me that I need to know when I'm reading, when I'm communing with him by coming into the word. It just, it's amazing if you're having a hard time finding time or making, you got excuses for not getting into the scriptures, you're fooling yourself, I encourage you, just get in there and enjoy. Enjoy your Lord. Do you enjoy a vibrant prayer life? 
Throughout the day, are you praying? Are you enjoying God like that? I, I, I know throughout the day, there's lots of prayers. Everything from, Lord, help me. Lord, forgive me. Lord, that was amazing. But there's a lot of them. And then are you forgiven a little? Or are you forgiven much? I find this, this kind of makes for a different attitude too. I think those that are usually more quick with the gospel know they're forgiven much. Whether they got saved later in life and they know what they're saved from or they're honest with themselves and they know what they're tempted with and, and although they might have been saved from a young age, they know what they've been saved from, right? So if you've been forgiven a little or you've been forgiven much, Right? It's that relationship with Christ. Where is that? Right? Oop, wrong way. Let's get down there. Oh, I'm making all the wrong buttons. All right, so what is your skill at sharing the gospel? I'm going to hope right from the get-go that we're sharing the gospel. We must be. I see people, new people coming to church all the time. So as a church, we got to be, people got to be doing it. We got to be sharing the gospel, right? So I kind of like, it's like a skill and a gift, right? So everybody's kind of called to do it. Some people are definitely gifted at it, right? So like Little League, I kind of liken it to baseball, right? You got Little League. We all kind of start off in Little League, and, and it's real clear right away that some people are definitely more gifted. Some people are going to probably make it a little bit further than just Little League. And then you got the rest of us that, you know, playing in the grass and right field. But um, where's your skill set at? Also, are you, are, are you practicing or studying? Are you receiving coaching? Are, are you actually interested in sharing the gospel, right? Are, are you doing anything that gets yourself, like, to, to build up that skill set, right? Because the other beautiful thing about Little League is the coaches that are in there, they love baseball, right? That's why they're there. They want to share their passion for baseball with young people to get them going in it so they may be passionate too. Like, and the same thing is true with evangelism. You're going to find people that are good at it, that enjoy it, they love it. They love helping other people get good at it. So you go ahead. Somebody that, instead of being discouraged that you're not gifted and somebody else might be, go ask them. Learn from them. I, I, I got a buddy, I, even like Pastor Rich and, I, and Justin, I've heard about him, but every conversation, somehow, magically, instantaneously spiritual. And I'm just like, wow. Like, I'm struggling over here trying to make small talk. And they're already, like, halfway into the gospel. And I was like, so, uh, how's the weather? But it, it's, it's so neat. But I get encouraged by that, not discouraged, right? And, and hopefully, you're not believing that lie. Oh, that wonderful lie that I, I've heard a couple times and it breaks my heart every time. I've, been, I've not been gifted with evangelism, so I don't have to do it. That is a lie from Satan. There's nothing in the truth, the word of God, that's going to support that argument. Repent of it. Just put it to death. Right? What is your emotional reaction to sharing the gospel, right? Like, what, what is it like when you're sharing the gospel? If you're not sharing the gospel, just the thought of sharing the gospel, right? When you heard I was going to be talking about a, a sharing evangelism, what, what emotions were there? Are there shame or guilt or conviction? No, oh, I don't share the gospel enough, man. Oh, I don't try at all. Thanks. I'm looking forward to the sermon and, and realizing how big of a creep I am. Were you joy or excitement, right? Do you enjoy sharing the gospel? I know when I'm sharing the gospel, I love communing with God. And I, and I love it too, especially when the Holy Spirit's helping me think of verses. I know it's the Holy Spirit working through me, and it's just, it's wonderful, right? Is there anxiety? You're getting anxious, uncomfortable, sweaty palms, and all the other good stuff that comes with anxiousness. It's your contempt. 
Has there any thought of contempt or being angry? Like, oh, really? I need another sermon on preaching it? My life isn't good as it is, and you want me sharing the gospel? Well, what, what's your emotional reaction? I, I want you guys to kind of think about that, right? Where, where you're at with the, the gospel and sharing the gospel. So I'm going to tell you, I'm going to take you through one of my quiet times that I, I kind of explored this year. Uh, these are some of my favorite verses. If you're going to share the gospel, you should probably start with the book of Romans. Paul lays out the gospel beautifully in the book of Romans. There's a bunch of promise and hope about what Christ did in the gospel. So exciting, so exciting to hear about God's love for us, right? And, and some of these verses... Uh, verse 16 and 17 are kind of like the theme to the book of Romans, and they're kind of some of my favorite verses. So I'm going to read them real quick for us, and then I'm going to go into them a little bit. So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith, to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Every time I read this, I get excited. I love verse 17, the just shall live by faith. It's one of my, it comes from Habakkuk, right? One of the, it's a quote from Habakkuk. It's minor prophet, but I, I renamed Habakkuk, he back talks. And it just shows God's grace. So when you're struggling with understanding what's going on, Habakkuk was. He was like looking around, seeing all the people of Christ, or the people of, not the, Christ, the Jews at the time. Uh, the, the, all of them weren't, they weren't acting like the children of God. And he was angry and upset, and he's asking God, he's like, hey God, what's going on? What's going on? What are you going to do about your people? They're not acting like your people. And God says, well, you know that people group over there? I'm going to use them to punish my people. And Habakkuk, it blew his mind. He's like, they're more unrighteous than us. How are you going to use them? Like he had no problem expressing frustration with God. And it just amazes me. And, and God, God gently does as God does. And says, hey, who's God? Who's good? My plans are good, Right? And that's where God says, and the just shall live by faith. It's a beautiful thought because especially in the time we live in, it's crazy watching everything going on. And as we're watching other things that are supposed to be Christian just kind of dissolve into far from Christianity. And we're kind of wondering what's going on in our country. And it's just, and the just shall live by faith. It's like, yeah, I just got to trust God. And more importantly, he calls me just. Because I know I'm a sinner. I know I ain't righteous, but God calls me just. So I, I always love these verses. But when I came to this verse, uh, it was actually earlier this year, God kind of caught my heart. Uh, verse 15. So as much as in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. That, that word, am ready, is uh, prothumos, uh, eager. It's not just ready, like I'm ready to take a test, right? For all of you who know what a Scantron test is, uh, you got your sheet, you got your two number two pencils, and you're ready to take your test. It's not like that. It's eager. Like, I know this material inside and out. I'm going to crush this test. I want to take this test, right? It's like uh, part of the word in there, thumos, comes from thymus, which is passionate, right? And so, so, so when you think about Paul being ready to preach the gospel, he's more like a, a, a thoroughbred uh, um, at the Kentucky Derby in that starting gate, just chomping at the bit, waiting for those doors to open so he can run through them. So 
Paul, and I found myself praying, Lord, give me the spirit, right? Give me the spirit to be eager to preach your gospel. And then Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And it kind of struck me weird. Paul is not ashamed. I was like, why did he write he's not ashamed? He's eager to preach the gospel. Of course you're not ashamed of the gospel. Like, for me, I was thinking, like, Paul should boast in the gospel because it's the power of God to salvation. He should rejoice in the gospel because it's for everyone who believes. Everyone? Everyone. But he doesn't. It, it, or he even says exalt. So he could exalt because he was called and set apart for the ministry of the gospel. But no, he just says, I'm not ashamed. You know, and like I said, the Holy Spirit likes to illuminate those truths. And I could feel that, that tug in my heart. It's like, so I ask, am I ashamed of the gospel? Right? Ugh. So, like most people, when the conscience starts to accuse my wicked heart, as, as uh, Brother Brown preached this morning from Jeremiah 17, 9, desperately wicked heart, it gets to excusing. I start invoking my Peter Lord, you know me. I, I love you. I love your gospel. I, I'd be nothing without your gospel, right? I, I don't even want to think about what my life would be without the gospel, right? I, I, my wife, my children, the hope I have in this world, my life would just be blah without the gospel. If you're worried about it, blah is Hebrew for bad, bad, very bad. So, so I ask my friends. I ask them some of their thoughts. And, and, and I love my friends. My, my wife and, and another good brother of mine, they both, they both ask me, well, what do you think? And then me, I play the role of a good Pharisee because I know what they think I'm thinking and I don't want to tell them what I'm thinking. So I say, I don't know. That's why I'm asking you because I don't want to answer. I don't want to say, am I ashamed of the gospel? So, I want to go to lexicon, right? I, I pull out the lexicon because I'm thinking maybe, th maybe there's something more to this word than just a shame. Maybe there's something I'm missing and I don't understand. And, and I pull out the lexicon and that's a fun word to try to say. Epiaskunome. It just means to be ashamed. Huh, go figure, right? Thanks, Mr. Lexicon. I was kind of hoping you were going to give me a meaning, something that would help excuse me. No luck there. So my working definition of ashamed, so I'm kind of thinking about this, and I, uh, I put cake up there for a reason. I got this buddy. He's got his doctorate in math. It kind of helps define his personality. He's really interesting. But uh, if, we're, if we're, right, I mean, like, 2 plus 2 is 5. How do you get, what do you need a doctorate in math for? So if we're fellowshipping, and he's, and we get to the cake time of fellowship, my wife can testify to this, if it's a good cake, I, I, my, if, um, my eyes go right to his eyes because I can tell immediately he's going to take a bite of that cake and he's going to like that cake. And when he gets done, he, he, you can see it because his eyes are going to start looking at the rest of the cake. And you're going to see the numbers start calculating. As he's thinking, how many calories are in this piece and that second piece I'm going to have? How many extra minutes and miles am I going to have to jog this week to burn off this cake? And then when he's done with that first piece, he is not going to be ashamed. He's going to go get that second piece. 
And he is going to enjoy that second piece, and he sees himself as being complimentary to whoever made that cake, whoever brought it. It is well worth the extra time I'm going to exercise this week for this piece of cake. Me, on the other hand, I wait for my buddy Phil, because I know my buddy Phil is going to go get his second piece. And when he goes, I go underneath cover, right? I'm a little bit softer body guy, you know, a little bit bigger in the belly. I know I'm not running any extra this week. I'm not running at all. <laughs> I'm eating that cake because it tastes good. And I have no problem whatsoever if somebody would kind of give me that look of, really? Do you really need that second piece of cake? No, I, I, I really don't. Don't get me wrong. I'll eat that second piece of cake. But, and even then, like, as I'm thinking about this, my buddy who's not ashamed to get that piece of cake, and me who would feel that shame and not have a problem with somebody who gave me the eye, I'm more worried about what people are thinking of me, where he's more worried about what he's thinking about somebody else. And as I'm working on my definition of what it means to be ashamed, I'm starting to convict myself more and more. So, I still, still am not ready to confess it. So I go to the concordance and, and I look up to find out where else this word ashamed is. So Second uh, Timothy in chapter 1, Paul uses it a bunch. And I like to interpret Paul with Paul. You get the best idea, right? So Second um, Timothy 1, 8, I, I go to this verse and I read it. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord nor of me his prisoner, but share with me in the suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. I'm already kind of on the edge of my seat because I'm like, mm, sharing in the suffering. Mm. Mm. Right? So, we got a therefore, so I, I went back and I wanted to see what the therefore was there for. So I go back, 2 Timothy 1, 7. Some of you guys probably have this memorized. It's, it's a great verse. Most people know it. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Right? So there's this, this interesting juxtaposition, and I was already kind of getting there. I realized that a shame, it's being equated to fear, right? And that fear of personal humiliation. Right? And, and all of a sudden I realized that, yeah, there's been times I've been ashamed of the gospel. Have you ever had a conversation where it's, you, you see that opportunity to take it spiritual, and then all of a sudden, boom. Like a good sheep. No. Not going to do it. No. And you back down. I have. Oh, I hate it. The shame and the guilt. Somebody's telling me about a problem. And instead of just coming in with a rescue story, I, 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 uh, mm. but God's, God is so wonderful. Like, I know he brought me here to show me this, to help me have victory over it, right? That's the beautiful thing about our God. He doesn't just come, and when you're looking into the perfect law of liberty, looking into that mirror, when you, you, you see the ugliness, he doesn't just want to leave you there. He brings it to you so he can cleanse you from it, right? First John 1, 9, Confess and forsake, and he will be faithful and just to forgive and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And it's such a beautiful thought. So he didn't want to leave me there, right? And I started realizing it too. It's an irrational fear, right? Uh, for God has not given us that spirit. That, that spirit of fear is already in there. It's part of my sin nature, and I need God to eradicate it. 
right? And, and he gives me the keys to victory right here, but if you were given a spirit of power, a spirit of love, and a spirit of sound mind, right? So that, that fear that's coming within me, I, I, I'm going to take a little side note here. In the temptation of Christ, the saint kind of reveals his hands on how he likes to trip us up. And one of the ways, he takes scripture, quotes it verbatim to Jesus, and he puts a little demonic twist on its application. I think the same thing is kind of going on in my sin nature, right? So I, I can think of um, John 3.17. So this is the condemnation that men loved the darkness and they hated the light. Right? So like when, when I'm going to share that gospel, sometimes I just, I just, I'm looking at them and I'm like, man, I know you love your sin. I know you're going to hate the light. And instead of seeing them as a person that is lost and desperate for the gospel, I look at them like there's this powder keg and the gospel, the light of the gospel is a flare and boom! It's irrational. It's ludicrous. Right? There, there's been times I've actually shared the gospel and had people get really mad at me. My sister-in-law. I, I was sharing, the first person I wanted to share the gospel with when I got saved was my brother. And I went to his house and I was talking to him and his wife. And I was sharing with him with the gospel. And, and the more she got convicted, she's like, Rich, it's like you're saying I deserve hell. And I was like, no. No, 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 it's not me. It's God saying you deserve hell. Some odd reason that didn't come out right. And I was uninvited to stay the rest of the night. I still talk to my sister-in-law today. My brother and I are still tight. still love him. So, such an irrational fear. I had a customer at work once. I was getting to know him more and more and more. And then finally we were having a talk. And, and he's, he's big into science. And started talking about string theory. And... Uh, and uh, I was like, string theory is amazing. Because I heard once said that, you know, if, if the string theorists say that God, uh, the Earth, universe is 13 dimensions, God, because he's transcendent, has to be a 14-dimensional being, right? Right? 14 dimensions, that's crazy. And I, and I brought this up to him. And, I, and all of a sudden, he, he kind of latched on to it. And then he started asking me questions. And I was like, oh, here we go. <laughs> Going to share the gospel with this guy. And the more he asked the questions, I kept answering and kept answering and kept talking about my faith and, and, and I realized the trap was set too late. He didn't want to know about my faith. He's one of those guys that see Christians as the people that are anti-science and anti-progress and what's wrong with this world. And before too long, he was mad and irate and yelling at me and kept asking me the questions. I was amazed. I couldn't stop. I couldn't lie. The soft answer didn't turn away wrath. But man, I, I don't know what happened that day. But I wasn't going to stop glorifying God to him. As much as he was hating me for it, I was going to keep doing it. And I left his business that day. And I was in dismay. I was praying to God. And I was like, man, I've never upset him like that before. I've never seen him mad like that before. Lord, I, I, you're going to have to do something. It's pretty amazing. A couple weeks later, I got to deliver to him again. It was right after Christmas. So I asked him, I was like, hey, how was your Christmas? You know, and he's like, oh, it's great. I hung out with my sister and her family. And, you know, and then all of a sudden he kind of realized, whoops, I'm the atheist that celebrated Christmas. And he stopped right in his tracks. I could tell when the thought hit him. He like stopped. He looked up. And it was an awkward pause. And he was like, how, how was yours? I was like, ah, oh, I got a bunch of little kids. It was a blast. Thanks for asking. I'm glad yours was too. He got never called work to report me into my boss. Never, never... Never got in trouble for it. I was able to make amends with the relationship. And, and a few times I delivered to him because I haven't seen him in a long time. I, 
I knew better than to share the gospel with them. But it's really a rational fear, right? Like I said, that spirit is fear. It's not from us. It's from our sin nature. It's not from God, right? And the beautiful thing about this passage, too, is in this passage, Timothy, Paul is encouraging him. Because Timothy, if you read this, sounds quite beat down. And it's neat to know that Timothy, who Paul calls a true son in the faith, um, was struggling with the same thing. It's encouraging to know that you're not alone, right? But God gives us victory in in that he gives us the Holy Spirit, right? The minute you get saved, it's a beautiful thing. Like it says in Ephesians, you were already blessed with every spiritual blessing. When the Holy Spirit's dwelling on you, you have access to so much and it's so glorious. And that's the spirit you need to invoke. You got to think about the spirit of power. A spirit of love, not for yourself, but that poor person across from you that's lost with an eternal state that is just hell and, and they need the gospel, right? So it's a, it's a love for God and a spirit of love for others that comes from God. And he also gives us a spirit of sound mind to deal with those irrational fears, a spirit of sound mind to get that eternal focus, to, 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 to know that the only thing that really matters is somebody's eternal salvation, whether you're the richest man or the poorest man, it don't matter if you don't know Jesus. Amen. So, a couple more thoughts on the word of shame. So, uh, verse 12. For this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he's, he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. Paul's not ashamed because he knows who he believes. And he knows that Christ can hold him fast, right? It's a beautiful song. Thanks for picking that one. Also, verse 16, I like this. 16 and 17, uh, Paul wants to commend his friend. The Lord grant mercy to the household of Anasaphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he sought me out very zealously and found me. He didn't care about what it meant to go see Paul in prison. He didn't care that the Roman guards were going to give him a hard time. He didn't care that he was ousting himself as a Christian in a time when it wasn't very good to be known as a Christian because bad things happened. But he was more zealous and more worried about Paul. And he went out there unashamed. Oh, man. So it was a tremendous journey that God took me on as, as I was, he was helping me see that and helping me have victory over ashamed. And I, and I hope that you guys... I hope that you guys, I'm encouraging you guys that it's all right if you're ashamed, right? It's all right if you feel that guilt and shame, right? But that's not where God's going to leave us, right? That's not where God's going to leave us. I'm going to share with you two of my two other verses that I love when it comes to sharing the gospel. Jeremiah 9, 23 and, 9, and 24. Context of Jeremiah 9, it's not going good, right? It's more of a lament of the Lord about his people and Judah, and how they would, if they would just turn to him, but because they won't, judgment is coming. And in the middle of that, he says this statement, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, let not the mighty man glory in his might, nor let the rich man glory in his riches. But let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight, says the Lord. 
Man, I, I love these verses because that verse 23, there's no boasting before God, right? Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. It, it, it's not about us. It's not about our works. There's no boasting on the behalf of us besides boasting in God. It's about what God did for us. It's about what Jesus did when he came down and took on the cross and he died for our sins. That's our boast. Not about us. So, so boasting in your wisdom, which... You were gifted by God. Boasting in your might, which you were gifted by God. Boasting in your riches, which you were gifted by God, is really foolish. And, and more importantly, it's really encouraging to me because when I'm looking around the room, I, I don't have to be the richest man. I don't have to be the wisest man. I don't have to be the mightiest man. More often than not, I find I'm not. If anything, I'm lucky to be in the bottom five. Eh. It's so encouraging to me. All I have to do is glory in this that I know God. And to understand him, man, that's where my boast is. It's not me. I'm not up here because I'm anything special. My wife will say I am because she's really sweet. But I'm not special. It's my Jesus that's special. And that's why I'm so excited to be up here and sharing about him and boasting on him. But who glories in, in this that he understands and knows me? That I am the Lord exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. I, look at those three words. Those three words are just, if you were to make a recipe for the gospel, that's your, that's your list of ingredients. I know your judgment, we'll get there. Loving kindness, the, the, the word is hesed. You guys probably have heard about this word. I'm hoping you have. Uh, hesed is, it's, it's a, the Hebrew word for like God's love, right? The Greek is agape. It's like this, this love that's really hard to grasp. I, I like how in the King James they take loving kindness and they smush the two words together because it's not just like love, right? Hesed also says mercy. There's this, there's this action component to the love, right? So it's like if, if you were um, uh, hungry and tired and I said, well, I love you. Good luck. Peace out. Would you feel loved? No. If I said, oh man, I am sorry. Come on over to my house. Let me make you a meal. Let me make you a bed. My wife would say, why are you bringing strangers home? But, but that's what loving kindness is. It's about stepping in and doing something when people are in bad circumstances. And that's what God did for us. Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There's that loving kindness, right? Not that, not that we loved him, but he loved us, right? And then judgment. I know, judgment most of the time when we think judgment, we think of bad people getting what they deserve. Or we think about revelation and the judgment to come and, and uh, the bad, scary stuff that's going to happen in revelation, right? But this word for judgment, mishpat, is also kind of translated as justice in some of the other uh, and newer versions of the scripture. Because it's more like, not just handing out judgment, but like, like a judge handing out like a, a restoration or reconciliation. It's about justifying wrongs. It's about making things right. Romans 5, 9, much more than having, much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. When we get saved, we're justified, right? We're still sinners, but now we are justified, right? It's an amazing thought to me. Uh, we are imputed with God's, 
or with Christ's righteousness. His blood covered our sin. How much more than just by his blood shall we be saved from wrath? For when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, and we have now received the reconciliation. God's practicing that justice, that judgment of making things right making us right with him. That last word he's practicing in there that he delights in is the word righteousness. Tzedakah. Uh, it's a good word. Hebrew. I gotta, I gotta brush up on my Hebrew. It, it's righteousness like you would think of, right? And, and that word is also found in Genesis 15, 6. It's a passage where, uh, well, I'll read it. And he believed in the Lord and he accounted it to him for righteousness. This is where Abraham is accounted righteous for believing God. And, and that's what happens when somebody believes in the gospel. That when they believe in the death of Jesus Christ, his resurrection, and, and, and they confess and they know that they are saved, not by their works, but by what Jesus did, they get his righteousness. And their sins are covered and they are justified and they get to taste of the goodness of the love of God. For in these I delight, says the Lord. He delights in practicing loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness. And you know how he does that, people? He does that through us. Isn't that amazing? We get to be the ones to share the gospel. We get to be the ones that he delights in. Right? So even in your most feeblest attempts, even if it's just invite somebody to church, because you know Pastor Rich is going to bring that gospel. Ooh. He's going to delight in you. That's my boy. That's my girl. Go get him. Right? You can be a delight to the Lord. How often do we get to think of being pleasing to God? Isn't that a wonderful thought? Right? So if you have guilt or shame for not sharing the gospel, I want you to turn that into praise. Get rid of the guilt and the shame because that's God still wanting to use you in his redemptive plan. If you have contempt, contempt from conviction, I want you to put that away too. I want you to realize that God still wants to use you in a redemptive story of somebody else, right? Uh, Romans 10, 15, and how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. How amazing are the people that saved us, right? I look back in faith and I think of all the people that tried to share the gospel with me as I kept saying, nope, 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 nope. My beautiful wife, as much as she tried, I was still saying nope to her. And I thank God because when I said yes to the Father, we knew it was because I knew I deserved hell and not because I thought the girl was cute, which I hear happens. But, right? We can be, God wants to use us and, and he wants to delight in us. It's a beautiful and wonderful thing. So, uh, I'm going to share a story from the Challenger League. I was talking about how uh, liking uh, the skill to um, baseball in, in Little League to Major League and the Hall of Fame possibly. There's a league called the Challenger League. It's going to be tough for me. Um, 
So the Challenger League, it, it takes place in Racine County. It's put on by a, a Christian, uh, he's a bullpen coach for the Brewers, and he's been blessed, and, and he uses some of the money to put on this Challenger League. It, it's for kids with special needs. That's kind of beyond Little League. And it's a chance for kids to get out and participate in baseball activities and, and feel like normal kids. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. I, uh, I love going there. Like, all these kids are amazing. They all have amazing stories, and they're all excited to be out there, and they're all happy, and they're just looking like normal kids, kind of. There's a sweet little girl. She's, she has an oxygen tank, and it's on a little two-wheel cart, and it's fun to watch her run the bases and watch that little two-wheel cart <laughs> bounce all over the place. And uh, there's this little buddy, Sam. Uh, man, he will talk your ear off. And it's so sweet, though, because I'm telling you what, you talk to Sam for five minutes, I don't care if you're the main theme of a country song. I don't care if your house burnt down and your dogs died in it. I don't care if your wife left you for a better-looking man with more money. I don't care if your mom was driving your pickup truck and they both got hit by a train. You talk to Sam, he's going to put a smile on your face. He's that contagious. And he's going to high-five you about ten times because it's the best day ever because it's baseball day. I love little Sam. That was kind of sweet. The one time Sam was talking to me and mom wanted to apologize to me and I was like, I'm not having that. No, not here. You don't have to be ashamed of your son. Your son's amazing. So the one day in Challenger League, it was, it was kind of... My, my one son who was in it... Usually he was kind of aloof and kind of not participating, but I also started catching on. He started liking baseball, and he came up to the to the hitting station, and and they put the ball on the tee, and he gets the bat in his hand, and you can see his eyes get big with excitement. You can tell he is going to crush that ball. <laughs> so he takes this, he gets up there with a swing, and like the coaches and the helpers are all kind of like giving him his face and looking out for him. And he takes this huge tornado hack, right? Spins around, and, and, and oh man, he was laughing so hard, and, and he hits the tee, and the ball drops. And uh, it was so funny, a coach kind of comes over, gets a hand on that bat, and he's like, oh, all right, buddy. Gets him to slow down a little bit, and he puts the ball back on the tee, and, and, he, and he is still wound up, and takes another big hack. Hits the tee and the ball drops. And so coach comes over, puts the ball on there, and he tightens on the tee, and he lets him adjust the height of the tee. And, he, and, uh, and he's like, oh, I want you to keep your eyes on the ball, which is awesome because we know what that means. But my son, who's very literal, he's like, I could just see him cock his head. And he's trying to picture how I'm going to put my eye on the ball and hit it. <laughs> and then I think coach saw it too, and he's like, I want you just to look at the ball. He's like, oh. I can do that. <laughs> and he takes another big hack, and he hits the tee, and the ball drops. Couple more swings. Hits the ball, hits the tee, and the ball drops. Hits the tee, and the ball drops. The excitement is fading. The energy fading. The shoulders start to drop. The swings are less energetic. And finally, coach says, I think a little too late, hey, why don't we let somebody else come up here? Let somebody else have a try. My son, I knew what happened. He turned around and I saw him and I saw those big eyes that had joy were red, filled with tears, pain and anguish of failure. Not going to have that. Not as a dad. Nope. Son, you come here. Come here, son. I'm so proud of you. You were awesome out there. Thank you for trying so hard. Dad, I, I can't do it. I, I can't do it, Dad. Ah, oh, son, I believe in you. I know you can do it. I know you can do it. 
But dad, dad, then I can't do it. And his mind, he was right. He tried. He listened to the coaches. He tried his hardest. He definitely swung his hardest. And, and he couldn't do it. He couldn't hit that ball. He couldn't. Son, I, I love watching you try. Can you try again for me? Dad, dad I feel stupid. I, you're not stupid to me, son. I love you. You're amazing. Do you want to try again for me? I, I don't want to, Dad. All right, son. Why, why, why don't we go field some balls? Let's go get some balls and, and field them for the other kids and we'll have some fun out in the field. Right? <laughs> if I, being evil, won't give my son a stone or a serpent, if he's hungry, how much more compassionate is our Abba Father? Right? Don't be afraid to step up to the plate. Don't be afraid to strike out. Right? What are you imagining? Your, your dad, he's the, your Abba Father's in the stands. He's the one that's going to boo you. He's going to yell at you. You're the worst. Is he going to his, hang his head in shame as he, as he wishes he had another son or daughter? No, 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 that's not your Abba Father. No, he's going to be up there. Awesome, I love the effort. Great job. That was fabulous. He, he's going to be cheering so loud that when you go back to the dugout, the other kids are going to be like, what's wrong with your dad? <laughs> Nothing, man. He just loves me that much. Mm. Man. Our God is good, isn't he? Amen. So, I wanted to leave you with that thought. I wanted you to leave you with that thought. He loves watching you try he loves it when you're going to take that step of obedience and walk out in faith and work through that fear. Right? I said it this morning, Philippians 4.13, it's not a tattoo for the Super Bowl. Philippians 4.13 is, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. When that fear comes in, let Christ strengthen you. You were given a spirit of power and of love. Share that love. So, I hope I encourage you and, and, and to want to share the gospel more, to motivate you to a more sustainable desire to share the gospel more, to share it out of a heart of love, knowing that you can be a delight for your Abba Father. Yeah, that's where I want to end off today. So um, let's close in prayer. And then I believe Josh, you come back up. Yeah. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for your Holy Spirit. And thank you so much for your conviction. Thank you so much for conviction. I know it's hard. I know I didn't want to say I was ashamed of your gospel. And Lord, I know I needed to hear it because I can't have victory over it if I ain't going to face it. And Lord, I just thank you so much for that. And I just pray that you'd help people understand that your conviction is to help people have victory over sin, right? If, the wages of sin is death. We should want sin eradicated from our lives. And I know it's hard and I know it's uncomfortable, Lord. But I just pray that you would work in us and help us grow in sharing your gospel, that we might be your delight. And I would just pray for anybody that doesn't know you, Lord, that hasn't tasted of your goodness, that you would help them understand that they're a sinner. We're all sinners. The wages of sin is death. And that death, well, that's hell. It's not that we can earn heaven by our good works. Lord, you know this. You've told us this in your word. It's not about us, but it's about what your son did on the cross. That your son came and he died on the cross. He took on flesh and he was humble and obedient to the death on the cross. And he shed his blood to cover our sin. 
and you didn't leave him in the grave, Lord. You raised him again on the third day so that we could have hope in him. And I'd pray for anybody that's watching. Pray for anybody here if you haven't made that confession, if you haven't tasted of the goodness of God, if you're sitting there struggling, thinking you're a sinner, that you couldn't even possibly delight God because you're unworthy. Oh, yeah, you can. You just got to trust. You just got to take the free gift to salvation. Lord. Help somebody take the gift to salvation. Let your word go out and not return void, Lord. Bless them. And I pray all these things in your son's powerful name. Amen.